Good morning, City Church. You happy to be here today? Yeah? Awesome. We are, uh, we're just figuring out all the electronics, but we're streaming now to all of our locations. So can we say hi to Middletown, Bridgeport, Hartford, all of our locations? Hello. Good morning. Welcome to church. If you're new to City Church, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. Gene, can we put a little, see if we can get a little more of this in the wedge there uh, for me, just a little more of the vocal. Ephesians chapter four is where we'll start. We've been in a teaching series looking at the church. And I know that many of us, we come into church with a whole list of, uh, you know, previous experiences of what church is. And so part of the vision, part of the passion of these last couple of weeks has been to give us a fresh, biblical, Jesus-centered definition of what church is, all right? And so that's kind of what we're going after today. And we've looked at a number of different aspects of church today. I want to look at two passages of Scripture. The first is in Ephesians 4. It says this in verse 15. It says, "...grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ." from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is growing properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Speaking about the church there. Then we get a picture of the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I want to read that. It says this, And they, that's the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So in those two passages of scripture, we get a picture of the church. And so far, In this series, we looked at week one at the glorious church, how glorious God's plan for the church is. Remember, we talked about that scripture that says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And then in week two, we looked at the worshiping church and how God has called us to worship in spirit and in truth. This week, I believe that God is changing the way we think about how we grow as a church. And so we're going to be looking at the maturing church, the maturing church. Let's take a moment and pray and open up our hearts to Jesus today. God, we love you. I thank you for all that you're doing all across our locations. I thank you for what you're doing right here in this moment. Holy Spirit, we need you. I ask in Jesus' name that you do a work today that changes us individually and also changes us collectively as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Did you ever wonder why we shake hands when we meet? You know, two of us get together and you say, oh, you're new. Oh, hi. Great, great. And immediately out goes the hand, right? It's just one of the things we do in our world, right? It's just part of how we greet people here in the Western side of planet Earth, right? Or when you look at someone and you're talking to them, the expectation is that you look them in the eye, right? You look them in the eye. Did you ever notice that, you know, in America culture, and I think this is pretty uh, predominant across the world, but when you see the color green, it means go. And when you see the color red, it means yeah, it means, yeah, it wasn't a trick question. You're like, wait, what? stop. Yeah, it means stop. We're taught here that you're supposed to chew with your mouth closed, right? Some of us are like, yeah, well, that one's debatable. But yeah, you're supposed to chew with your mouth closed. It's just one of the things you learn. One of the things we do in our culture is that, you know, if, um, if you come into a room like this and you don't know the people around you and there's a few extra seats, you always leave a chair in between you and the next person. You ever, you ever notice how you do that? Or if you're really sketched out by them, maybe you leave two chairs, you know? And some of you are like, wait a minute, there's two chairs between. Yeah, it's okay. It's just kind of part of the things that, you know, like we like our bubble. You know what I mean? Like we like our space in this world. That's all these things are just little examples of what today we will call the box. All right. I'm going to draw. Boom. There it is. I'm in it. The box. This is the box. Another word for the box is culture right? We all live in a very specific, very unique culture. Right now you exist in a Western hemispheric New England postmodern culture. And culture has beliefs. Culture has values. (coughs) Culture has things that it celebrates and things that it discourages, right? We all live within the concept of a culture. One definition, the dictionary helps us with this idea of culture. It says culture is the sum total of ways of living built by a group of human beings transmitted from one generation to another. So you're existing within 
a culture, and our culture has different values, right? Very specific, unique values. And of course, these values adjust and change from generation to generation, but we're all pretty familiar with our cultural values, right? One thing that we value is autonomy. Like if you get to leave work when you want to leave or come in when you want to come in, you know, you get to be autonomous. Most of us would say that's a good thing, right? You would say, yeah, I want to do that. That, That's something I like. I want to be autonomous. Financially, we don't want to be committed or connected to, to some obligation. We like to be autonomous. Autonomous, you know, living is one of the things that we really champion in our culture. Another thing we champion is entertainment, right? You know, the average American watches over five hours of TV a day. We like our entertainment. We do all types of things to entertain ourselves. That's one of our values in the box. You know, uh, security is another example of, of, a, of a value of our culture. We like to be secure. It's why you have a password on your phone and a password on your computer and a password to get into your house. And for some of us, it's all the same password, right? <laughs> It's like, you find that one thing out about me and everything I have now belongs to you, right? And so, you know, and I know it's like your birthday backwards, all right? So everybody already knows that. So you're in trouble. But, but you know, like that's, that, you know, security, privacy is another thing we value. You know, we don't want people to know too much about us. We want to be known, but not too much. That's one thing. Status. We have all these different status symbols. The car I drive, the watch I wear, all these different things that we make status symbols. That's part of the, the things that we value in our culture. Now, the box that we live in called culture has its pros, right? But it also has its cons. And if we're honest today, we would say that the postmodern American, New England, westernized culture of 2017 has some good things about it, but it doesn't seem to be producing an absorbent amount of wonderfully fulfilled and satisfied individuals. Is that not a a fair assessment, right? That like, there are good things about our culture, but if we're honest we would say that maybe the majority of people that our culture is producing are overworked, stressed, unfulfilled, and just a little bit lonely. In fact, a new statistic came out recently that showed that 72% of those polled in America said that they wrestle with loneliness. Loneliness. And I'm sure that a, a significant percentage, probably the majority of us here in the room, and at all of our locations, you know what I'm talking about. Loneliness. You got that TV on, not because you're watching a show, but just because you want to hear someone speaking. Loneliness. It's a real reality. In fact, uh, some psychologists or uh, psychologists, sociologists have called this the age of loneliness. And so it's interesting to me that we have all these things. We have all the technology. We have all the autonomy. We have all the freedom that we think we want with all of our different advancements in our culture, in our box. And yet for many of us, it hasn't made us more happy. It hasn't made us more fulfilled. In some ways, it's made us more disconnected. But it's no easy task to break out of the box, right? Breaking out of the box is not something that happens easily. There is all around you unspoken pressure to stay within the box. Dr. Henry Cloud puts it like this. He says, a culture is like an immune system. It operates through the laws of systems just like a body. If a body has an infection, the immune system deals with it. Similarly, a group enforces its norms either actively or passively. And so you live within a box And that box is actively and passively enforcing its norms. In other words, all the people around you are getting that new car for that low interest rate. And there's a pressure in your world to go, well, I got a new car. Everybody around you is buying that new house. Everybody around you is working a million hours. Everybody around you is fighting to climb the corporate ladder. I don't know what your context is, but you are surrounded with a particular environment. And that environment is informing the way you see life, whether you realize it or not. And many of the decisions that you're making are coming out of the culture of the box. And you don't even see that that's what's pushing you, but you're working all those long hours because maybe your dad taught you that you're supposed to exhaust yourself and ignore your family. Or maybe the people at work are always comparing their stuff to yours. And so it's creating this pressure in you to keep pushing. I don't know what it is that's informing your decisions But there are very often invisible forces called the box that are pushing you and shifting the way you think, informing what you value. And if we're honest, many of us live relatively unaware of the box and can't seem to find a way to break out of the box. In Ephesians chapter 4, I love this text. It's the first one I read this morning. 
It's this letter that Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing to this young church. And statistics show, or history tells us, if you research this time of, of uh, church history, that, that this church was exploding. Tens of thousands of people were attending the church at Ephesus, this massively growing, rapidly expanding church. And the people at Ephesus were consistently breaking out of the box because they began believing in a greater reality. In other words, they experienced something bigger than the box of their culture. They had been inspired and ignited and transformed by a revelation that was greater than the box of their culture. So great, in fact, that they started violating cultural norms like crazy to the point where the people of Ephesus were like, who are these crazy people who call themselves followers of Jesus and why do they keep messing with our box and the reason that the Ephesians were so frequently messing with the box is because they had found a greater revelation than the box of their culture their box of culture had been transcended this is me drawing my mom will tell you I was most artistic in high school it's true not showing right now I know it looks like a gingerbread man but it's not the box had been transcended by the body the body of Christ they had found a revelation called church that was actually bigger than the box of culture see this is where some of our minds go wait no See, they had a different view of church. It wasn't a gathering on Sunday morning. The people came together, clapped and sang. They had a different view of church. And I don't know why this leg is longer than that leg. All right? don't, there's no spiritual implications to that. All right? They had found a revelation that was bigger than church, that, that, not bigger than church, bigger than culture, that had transcended their idea of what was valuable, shifted it out of the box of their society, and now they were thinking about life through a larger lens. And they call this lens the body of Christ. Now, look again at Ephesians 4 with me and look at what it says. It says, grow up in every way into him who is the head. Paul is using one of his most familiar illustrations, his, his probably his favorite illustration to, to talk about the church. He calls Christ the head. And then he says, from whom the whole body, and that's you, turn to the person next to you and say, we're a part of the body. We're a part of the body. Yeah, 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 that was good. We're, not everyone participated, and that kind of defeats the purpose of the body, but it's fine. We'll get there. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, each part, that means you, that means me, that means each of us, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's this expanding. Now, we see this revelation that the church of Ephesus was operating in. They believed in the body, right? And we see a couple things. First, we see that if you're a part of the body, it means you're connected to Jesus, who's the head. That's a good thing. And so I'm connected to Jesus as a Christian. That's the essence of what it means to know Jesus, to trust in him, that he died for my sins, that he rose again, that he is the savior of the world. And now his spirit lives in me. And as his spirit lives in me, I'm transformed, I'm changed, I'm healed, I'm restored. And that's part of being a part of the body. But it's not just a connection with Jesus. It also talks about the joints, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, not that kind of joint, man. That's not why we're here right? It talks about the joints. Now it's not, the joints are a place where two bones meet. That's a joint, right? Where two different bones meet. And so it's talking about you connecting with your brother, you connecting with your sister, you connecting with other followers of Christ. Okay. And then it says, okay, so we're connected to the head. We're connected to each other and we're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be growing. That's why he says, grow up, grow up into him who is the head, grow up to be more like Jesus. Now, how does a person grow to become more like Jesus? Well, it tells us there, it says that every joint supplies something, every joint works properly, and this makes the body grow. So growth happens, I love this, at points of contact. That's a joint, right? Two points of contact. In other words, you can try to grow on your own, and you will to a degree, because you can contact Jesus individually and in, in your heart. But if you really want to grow in Christ, you don't just need a connection with the head. You need a connection with the other arm. And you need a connection with the foot. And you need a connection with the other foot. And you need a connection with the whole body of Christ. Every joint supplies something. And this is what causes expansive, supernatural, radical growth in your life. Now, I want to grow. 
There's something inside of me that wants to be like Jesus, that longs to be like Christ. And I hope that you find that in your heart as well, this desire to grow. Well, what you have to see in this text is that it's impossible to grow into what Christ has for you unless you're connected to the gingerbread man. All right? Unless you're connected to the body. And so what do these joints look like? What do these connections look like? How does the church grow? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, which I just read a second ago, we get a picture, an illustration of the early church as an example of how the church grows. And I want to show it to you today, and I want you to jot these things down. We're going to walk through a few ways the church grows, because I believe it's our time for growth, church. You say, Justin, we've been growing for six and a half years. God's grace, we've been expanding and developing, and I thank God for that. More and more and more people are a part of this family of faith every week, and we're grateful for that. But growth isn't just people on the outside. It's transformation on the inside, right? And he wants you to grow. He wants you to grow. That's why you're here. You're a part of the maturing church. So let's look at it together. Verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Look at that little, little word in the beginning there, devoted. What comes into your mind when you think of devoted? Devoted. They devoted. I could guess that there's things in your life that you used to be devoted to that you're no longer devoted to. Or maybe the devotion has waned, right? Devotion kind of ebbs and flows in our life, doesn't it? Like maybe you used to really be devoted to a certain sport. Or maybe you used to really be devoted to a certain team. And now that Michael Jordan's retired, you've kind of left that team. You know what I'm talking about? And now you're going with the Celtics. But you know, like, you know, there's different levels of devotion at different times in your life. Like for me, I used to be really devoted to learning to play the guitar. I would practice every day. I was always learning new things about the guitar. And then I reached a certain level and my devotion kind of tapped out. You know, like I kind of moved on. Can you think of something in your life you used to be devoted to, but over time you've kind of lost that devotion? That's just natural when it comes to devotion. It's just one of those things that happens. And, and we kind of, once we become familiar with something, oftentimes lose the devotion. I was in the barbershop last week getting my hair cut and a couple of guys were talking about the music that was over the radio. And it was this particular artist, this rapper. And one guy asked another guy in the barbershop, he said, Hey, do you think he's done making good music? And the guy responded, he said, yeah, he's done. He's not making any more music. That's, that's decent. And he said, why do you think that? And he said, he's just not hungry anymore. He doesn't rap hungry anymore. He's reached a certain level. He's just not hungry. And I just thought about that. I thought, that's kind of funny that you can rap hungry, right? And it's, it's a, maybe you've heard that expression before. But you know, you can do everything hungry. Or you can do it from a place where you're just kind of satisfied and done. You know, you can practice hungry. You know, you can pray hungry and you can pray lazy. You know what I'm talking about? You can read the Bible hungry or you can read the Bible lazy. You know, I can preach hungry or I can preach kind of like... Meh. Like there's a difference. There's something inside of you that says, I'm going after more. I'm not obtained everything that's, that's available. There's something in me that longs for more in my soul. I'm not satisfied with where I am. And when it comes to following Jesus, he says, literally, the limitations are beyond your capacity to see. There is no limit that God puts on your ability to experience him. So you haven't reached your plateau because you read the New Testament once. You haven't reached your plateau because you memorized 10 verses. Don't you see that the kingdom of God is far greater. And when we start to see that God's will for us is much larger than what we've experienced, that hunger comes back. But I know that tragically, many of us in the room today at all of our locations, you've been a Christian for three years. You've been a Christian for five years. You read the Bible here and there, and you're kind of satisfied. You don't have a spiritual hunger. You're not rapping hungry anymore. And you've lost that passion, that zeal. You see this early church, it wasn't that way. They were hungry. They were hungry because they knew that there were no limits to what God could do through them. And it marked their growth. So here's the first characteristic, how we grow as a church. We grow through unusual, unusual devotion. An unusual devotion that says, I'm going to commit myself. I'm devoting myself to the teachings of Scripture. I'm devoting myself to prayer. <coughs> I remember when I was in college, me and a number of other followers of Jesus started gathering in the mornings. Now, college students, there is no such thing as morning, right? We would gather at 6.30 or 7 a.m. all through the year, all through the winter in Connecticut, 10 of us, 15 of us, and we would gather for prayer. 
And we would just get in a circle, and for 30 minutes in the freezing cold, we would pray outside. And I'm thinking to myself, why did we do that outside? Like, was there nowhere we could have found inside to do that? But we just didn't even care because we were hungry. Question for you today, how hungry are you for God? What does your Bible reading look like, really? I mean, is it like... That's a good verse. Maybe I'll put that on Facebook. Like, is that how far it goes for you? Or are you coming to this book and saying, God, I believe there's life in this thing, and I don't understand a whole lot of things it says, but would you, would you breathe on it for me today? Because I know you want to speak through your living word, and I'm confused, and I know that there's life locked in these truths, so would you speak to me? When you come to pray, is it like, oh, God, bless my day and help me get through? Or are you believing for his power to be released in your life? They devoted themselves. We grow through this unusual devotion, an unusual devotion. God wants your life to be marked with an unusual devotion. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I love this. Awe came upon every soul. What is awe? Awe is this combination of fear and amazement. It's when your heart is like blown away because something beyond human explanation has, ex- has been experienced. Do you come into your family of faith, this gathering, with that sense of awe, that sense of preparation? Or are you coming in with this kind of like, well, let's just get through what I was going to talk about today. You know, like, let's just move on. Let's just get to the next thing. When's lunch? You know, like, or is there this deep sense of awe? Because I believe that the church needs that sense of awe. Why? We need that sense of awe because the fundamental characteristic of the gathered people of God is that we're not a social group. This is not, you know, a membership to Sam's Club, right? This is not the Elks Lodge, okay? We're not a bunch of people just trying to do good things. That's not the essence of church. What we believe is that people doing good things is nice, but that's the box. You can step out of the box and become a part of the body. And when you become a part of the body of Christ, it's not just you and me. It's not just us. It's us and God. God is in the room right now. God wants to do something impossible in your life. Do you realize that if you just got your faith up, you could leave this room right now a completely different person than when you came in? Do you realize that available for you today is freedom from that thing you've been battling with for 20 years? Do you realize that one touch from the Holy Spirit can change your perspective on life and set you free from that anxiety? A sense of awe. I remember back in July, I was, uh, you know, it was the summertime. I had a lot of things going on. We had a baptism service at the New Haven location. And I came into that baptism service, and I just, I didn't have a sense of awe. I had a sense of, like, you know, just kind of business as usual. And I remember we had, like, 30 or 40 people signed up to be baptized in New Haven at two, loca- two services. And I saw that number. I think we baptized, like, over 30 or 40 in the first service. And then by the second service, it was 50, and then 60. And then we ended up baptizing 72 people in one Sunday morning gathering, you know, over a course of two services. And it was incredible. I remember person after person after person making the decision to get baptized. And, 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 and you know, for me, it was like this, this growing sense of awe. And then for those of you that were there, I think my mom's here today. My mom came up and was baptized. And that sense of awe, and I love you, mom, that sense of awe for me, just started to grow, and I was like, the Lord is doing a miraculous work among us. That sense of awe. Do you know that feeling? Do you know that sense? Just last week, my my, my brother, my younger brother, my stepbrother, came to church with his biological dad. And uh, his biological dad physically has a whole bunch of problems, had never been to a church like this. Walked into our New Haven location, second service, and as soon as he walked in, he walked in with a cane. And he didn't have anybody pray for, me, for him. He didn't have any, like, spiritual, like, discussion with anyone. He just stepped into the building, okay, into the College Street Music Hall, okay? So we don't have any crosses anywhere or anything like that, you know, like, it, you know, he just stepped into the building. And as soon as he stepped into the building, all the physical pain in his body disappeared. And he didn't need his cane anymore. I mean, like... And just so you know, I don't know what is happening at the other locations. Just so you know, New Haven just gave me the lamest clap for that miracle ever. So it's all right. (laughs) 
Damien and Heather just got back from Africa last week. They were in Rwanda and Damien preached. It was just, that's an incredible story. There's so many cool things about it. But Damien got to preach to a number of pastors in, in Africa and do some training for young pastors and everything. But one of the things he was telling me, and I heard the awe in his voice. One of the things he was telling me was about when he, uh, when he prayed for a woman with a heart condition. And she was in pain. She was uncomfortable. Her heart was having some irregular things going on. And he prayed for her in Africa. And as soon as he prays, she's healed. And she's just like, all the pain is gone. And, and you know, he's from New England and he's a little skeptical. And he was like, all right, we'll see about that. And he saw her a couple days later and she was still supernaturally, completely and miraculously healed. So there's an awe. <coughs> this ain't the Elks Club, right? We're not just hanging out. We're not just talking about doing good deeds. We're interacting with God. And when we come in with that sense of wonder, with that sense of awe, your faith can grow. And miracles can happen. So we grow through this unusual devotion. But secondly, we grow through moments of wonder. Jot that thought down. It's critical that as a church family, we have moments of wonder. Moments of wonder. Participate with me as the body of Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, what could God do today? Ask them, what could God do today? And there was 50% participation. And all who believed were together, verse 44, and had all things in common. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, you all have friends. And friendship in our world basically functions as a transactional relationship far too often. In other words, that's, I do something for you, you do something for me, I do something for you, you do something for me. And oftentimes our friendships are what we could call affinity-based. Like, oh, you like hiking? I like hiking. Oh, you like volleyball? I like volleyball. Oh, you like, you know, and so we do things together because we have these shared interests. And that's not bad, but this isn't what the scripture describes as this biblical friendship that was growing. It says they had all things in common. And they were all together. They were going deeper because their relationship wasn't built on the cultural box. It was the body of Christ. And so there was a deeper connection because every person in the body had been changed by God's love. And that change put a new foundation in their life for relationship. So no longer is it, well, what do you do for me? And what do I do for you? And what do you do for me? It was deeper. It was transformational. My heart's been changed by God and so has yours. And so now it's not just an affinity. We don't just have a thing in common. We have the great thing in common. And that's why it says they had all things in common. I mean, functionally, they didn't actually have all things in common. It wasn't like, all right, what size shoe do y'all wear? All right, everybody wears an 11 now. All right, so we have all things in common. Like, no, 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 not like that. Not like that. They had all things in common in the sense that Christ was the greatest and most important thing in their life. And because of that, they had all things in common. You see that? There was this commonality between them, which led them to uncommon friendship. And so that's the third way we grow. We grow through what we'll call uncommon friendship. Uncommon friendship is a friendship that's built on the spiritual foundation of God changing our hearts. An uncommon friendship. It's one of the ways we grow in Christ. Verse 45, they were all selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow, that's kind of crazy, right? Like this uncommon friendship thing was going pretty deep. It was going so deep that they were actually financially impacted by their friendship. See, in our world, remember we said the values of our culture, the values of our box, in our box, we value security. And financially, that's one of the ways that that desire for security manifests, you know? I want to be in control, which means I need to have some in my 401, which means I have to have some of my savings, which means I have to have a big line of credit. And now I feel comfortable because I got this cushion all around me financially because I'm feeling in control, right? See, their understanding of security was actually transformed because they felt so secure in God's promises that it changed the way they handled their money. And they started practicing a fourth way in which we grow. We grow through what we call dangerous generosity. Dangerous generosity. This is everybody's favorite, right? Everybody's like, not really. <laughs> dangerous generosity. I just got an email this week from a friend. Some of you guys know Justin LePage. Justin, I think it was three years ago I met Justin. He had just given his life to Jesus two weeks after I met him. And uh, before I met him, Justin was, uh, he's a, a Marine, served a number of different tours in Iraq, Iraq, Afghanistan, came back battling with depression, did not know Jesus, suicidal tendencies, reached his limit, was going to take his own life. And God met him miraculously, saved his soul, opened his heart, transformed his life, and saved him. Okay, it's amazing. 
And so I meet this guy, young in faith. He starts attending the church, becomes a part of this family of God, and begins to rapidly grow. Feels called into ministry, attends Bible school, and then is launched out to teach the Bible to a number of young missionaries in the UK. And I just got an email from him this week, and I love this. I love this because he's radically growing in his faith because he practices dangerous generosity. This made me cry. This is just a portion of his email. Doesn't know that I'm going to read this, but sorry, Justin. He said this, during the first quarter, that's the first quarter of the year for the school year, I gave away $4,000 of what I raised before leaving because there were a few students who did not raise the final amount and they would not have been able to continue otherwise. I'm not worried about the finances as the Lord has continuously provided for all that I'm doing. Never leave a man behind. Amen? (laughs) I just love that. I just love that. That's a dangerous generosity, Justin. That's a dangerous generosity. He's thinking differently than the security required by the culture because he knows he's part of the body. You see that? It's a different way of thinking. It's a dangerous generosity. You guys know every year we receive our end-of-year offering. Last year, this church gave over $400,000 in this end-of-year offering. Incredible, incredible generosity, yeah. Amen. This year... We're going to outline on December 10th, we're going to outline over a half a million dollars of new initiatives that we're going to launch in Jesus' name by God's grace with your help. Over half a million dollars. No, we don't have that. We don't have it. It's going to have to be us. It's going to have to be a miracle. I remember last year I was on my knees just praying and me and my wife had set aside extra money to give in this end of year offering, to give our best at the end of the year. And so we had prepared an offering, a generous offering for us. That looks different for every person. A generous offering for us, and we were prepared to give it. And I was in my office, this is last year, on my knees praying, and I was just like, God, I don't want to just give a generous offering. I want to do something dangerous. I want to go beyond. I know that one of the ways that you grow me is when I'm dangerous in my generosity. What else do you want me to do? And I was on my knees in my office, and in my office, I've got a bunch of really nice guitars on my wall. All these different guitars that I've collected for years, and, and, and they're all up on my wall. And I felt the Holy Spirit within me just say, well, why don't you sell one of those guitars? I was like, what? That's not God. And I like, you know, 30 seconds of wrestling. I was like, one of those guitars? Are you sure? Sure you don't want me to sell one of my children, Lord? You know, like, no, I'm just kidding. And so, and so I was like, I went back and forth for about 30 seconds. I said, yeah, all right, let's do it. And so I put it on Craigslist or whatever, and it sold really fast because it's a really nice guitar. And, it, and there it was. It was gone, okay? And, and I remember the guy handed me a big wad of money and walked out with my beautiful guitar. And for about 30 seconds, I was really sad. And then I walked another 20 steps and handed all that money to our bookkeeper and took all the money and put it in for the end of your offering. And I started walking back to my office. And I can't even explain to you the joy I started to feel inside. Because I was like, we're going to take this land in Jesus' name. I don't care about no stupid guitar. I'm about New England. We're going to see this region transform. And I just, my heart just started growing. I was like, ah, let's sell them all. Like something just shifted inside of me. I'm telling you, one of the greatest ways you can grow. And don't worry, we're not receiving an offering right now or anything. All right, I'm not trying, that's not my heart. My heart is to teach you how to mature. And when you're clinging to your stuff, when you're living in the box of cultural security, you'll never see the movement of God in your soul. But when you start to get dangerous, when you start to think about security differently, I am telling you, your heart starts to grow. A dangerous generosity. Verse 46, I got a couple more verses. We're gonna move on. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Somebody say day by day. Day by day. That's a lot of time, Justin. Like day by day, they were meeting all the time. They were meeting in public. They were meeting in their homes. They were always together. The early church was constantly connecting and interacting. And they knew each other well enough. And they saw each other often enough that it cultivated in them a healthy pressure to apply what they were learning. Now, when you come on a Sunday and don't know anybody or see anybody from the church Monday through Saturday, there is very little pressure for you to take what we talk about and actually live it because nobody knows what you're doing. But when you start attending a community group and then you start building some friendship and then you start getting some accountability and then you start meeting someone for coffee and before you know it, there's a constant interaction with other followers of Jesus. What you find is that it becomes day by day and the things that you believe about Jesus go from hearing them on a Sunday to hearing them in your heart to talking about them with your friend, to discussing them in a small group, to applying them in your living room. 
All right? And that's, that's what we call, I call it living room application. We grow through living room application. It's got to get all the way down into your real life if you're ever going to grow. Living room application. This just happened to me two weeks ago. I was sitting with a number of our elders. Our central elder team is me, Jeremiah, Mike Schnepp, and uh, Joe Silva. We were talking about our, our wives. Our wives. We only have one. Our wives. Each of us has one. And we were talking about how, just to clarify, not, we're not like that. Um, how we could help our wife grow in Christ. And we're all talking and, and, you know, each of us gave an answer and then Mike Schnepp gave an answer, okay? And he had like this five-point plan that he laid out with like a, like a PowerPoint presentation, you know what I mean? Like he had hats and no, he didn't have, but it was like so well thought out and so like specific about how he was going to encourage his wife and grow his faith in Jesus and his wife's faith and this, this whole like 2018 plan. And the three of us are sitting there and we're all like, crud. Like, say that again, man, I got to write that down. You know, like, like, and we're all literally, we're taking notes. Like, we're like, okay, wait, what are you doing? And then what, what do you do after that? And like, we're, why? Because we want living room application. Now we're going to get together a couple weeks from now and we're going to talk about if any of us did that stuff in our actual lives. Because that's how this faith works. And you need that. You need living room application. It's not just enough to have a nice, encouraging talk on a Sunday. You need somebody who's going to fight for that to grow in your life. And that only happens when you put yourself out there. That only happens when this becomes more of a priority than just staying in the box. Living room application. You doing okay so far? Everybody's doing all right? Last verse, verse 47. Check it out. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love this. Day by day. Day by day. We have this false idea of growth. And our false idea of growth is that like once you reach a certain level in your understanding of Jesus... Now I have to go deep, right? And I have to learn Hebrew and I have to learn Greek and I have to become a scholar and then I'm going to be mature in Christ. Now, I love studying Hebrew and Greek and I often read scholarly material and so I'm not against that per se. But I don't think that the maturity in Christ is necessarily based on how well you know the deep truths of the Hebrew and Greek of the Old and New Testament. Now that could be helpful. But I believe that there's a different way of growing that is often far more rapid and far healthier for your soul. And it's found right there in verse 47, where it says, day by day, the Lord added to their number. Well, how did that happen? How did the Lord add to their number? I'll tell you how. The people who were in the church started sharing their lives with those who weren't. And so they made time for the guy at the gas station and they talked with their neighbors around the neighborhood and they hung out with friends at work and shared about how Christ was changing their life. And then they invited those people to attend some of the gatherings of their church. And then some of those people learned about Jesus, opened their heart and were changed. And then they began reading the Bible for the first time in their life. And they began praying and they began seeking God and they began growing and they began worshiping. And then the people who were a little bit more knowledgeable in the things of God started helping the people that were new so that they could grow. And little by little, everybody started to grow just by living an open life. And so you might say, well, Justin, I want to become this deep scholar. That's fine. But don't become a deep scholar and have never shared your faith, never led someone to Jesus and never grew them up in the Lord because we don't need any more scholars like that. We need people who will live their life in Christ, practice their life in Christ, and then replicate their life in Christ in Jesus' name. That's how you grow. So last way, we grow by living an open life. (laughs) Living an open life. And you've got to see what Jesus is doing here. Jesus, through this little passage of scripture in the book of Acts, is showing us a way to live beyond the box of our culture. And we could do this with our culture. We could do it with every human culture that has ever existed all of eternity. But when we glance at our culture, what we see is the box can't fit the body of Christ. That the body of Christ breaks out of the box and it's going to require, if you're a part of the body, that you break out of the box of the way of thinking in our culture and you start living in a way that transcends our culture. See, the box says autonomy. 
But the body says not just autonomy, devotion, a deep devotion, one to another. The box says entertainment, entertainment, entertainment. But the body says, fine, with entertainment, but we've got something bigger than entertainment. We've got wonder. We've got awe. We get to interact with the living God. See, the box says build a network, have connections, be connected to the right people. And the body says, yeah, fine and good with network, but we've got uncommon friendships. We've got friendships that go deeper than a transactional relationship. See, the box says security. Live for security. Make sure that you're secure. But the body says dangerous generosity that's going to push you out of physical security. See, the box says privacy. You got to have your walls. You got to protect yourself. But the body says living room application. Let people into your life. Let them know where you struggle. Walk with them and you'll be transformed. The box says you've got to have elite status. Protect your status. You've got to walk with the high people in life. But the body says associate with the lowly. Live an open life. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you do, you'll be changed. Oh, you got to see it today. You got to see it because what's the hope of the world in real life? Is it the government? Is it the government can change the laws, but the government can't change the heart? Is it education? Thank God for good education. Education can help the mind, but education can't awaken the soul. Is it business? Well, thank God for ethical, honorable business. It can help the economy, but it can't transform the heart. God has put in the hands of the church the good news of Jesus Christ, which has the power to awaken the soul and reconnect the heart to God. And it's that power that has the potential to change the heart. I read Acts 2 this week, and I heard a call from God. I heard a call from God for you. And God spoke to my heart to challenge you with this call. And I believe that even as I say it today, it'll bring conviction and it'll awaken something in you. And I speak it to you now. Reorient your entire life around God and his people. Reorient your entire life around God and his people. Reorient. You say, are you serious? I'm climbing the corporate ladder, Justin. I'm doing important things. Those things lose their importance when you do them without God and his people. Reorient your entire life. You say, well, that's a little bit extreme. That might mean my, some of my friends don't want to be my friends anymore. It might mean that. That means some of my family might think I'm crazy. It might mean that. That, mean, that might mean I get passed up for a promotion because I don't work so much on Sundays because I need to be a part of the family. I need to be at the gathering of the family, and that's on Sundays. And so if I don't work that week, I might not get overtime. I might not get the promotion. It might mean, Justin, that I get passed up for a promotion. Yes, it might mean that. It might mean that it changes the person you're dating right now. Oh, yeah, somebody's upset about that. And you say, you know what? Their life's not oriented around God and, and, and his people. So I don't think that we can be in this relationship. Just getting real. It might mess with your world tomorrow. Yes, it in fact absolutely will. It might mean that you don't take that big job on the other side of the country because God's planted something in your heart to see this least churched region become the most spiritually vibrant place on earth. It might mean that. You say, well, that's a whole lot of sacrifice. Pretty significant. Yes. But doesn't the cross, if it teaches us nothing else, teach us that real love and sacrifice always go hand in hand? It was Christ's real love that drove him to the cross, which brought ultimate sacrifice. And here, church, we catch a glimpse of what God is trying to do in your heart. We catch a glimpse of what God is trying to do in your soul. Oh, don't miss, don't miss this today. Because God wants to do something eternal in your heart through your participation in the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 3.16 one more time. It says, From whom the whole body, that's the church, joined and held together by every joint, those are the connections, 
Those are the times that we interact through devotion. We interact through sacrificial giving. We, we interact through living room application. We interact through uncommon friendships. We interact through moments of wonder. All those different joints, all those different times we interact. Every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, that means that you got to see this today. You have a gift, and your gift is not just to come in, be encouraged, and leave. God has given you a specific and unique part to play in his family of faith. And every single one of us needs to find where God would have us play a role. As each part is working properly, check this out, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, what's that last word? What is God trying to teach you by being a part of his body? See, when you practice devotion, you're learning the discipline of love. When you worship God and stand in awe, you are stepping into the mystery of love. When you build uncommon friendships, you're participating in the brotherhood of love. When you give, God is teaching you the sacrifice of love. When you accept accountability into your life, you're embracing the boundaries of love. When you share Jesus, open up your life with a coworker or a friend, you're learning the courage of love. What does it really mean to grow as a Christian? We said that this sermon was about the maturing church. The maturing church. Jonathan Edwards, one of America's great theologians, did an exhaustive study on Christian maturity. And he came to this conclusion. He said, the only mark, the only mark of genuine spiritual maturity and ministry effectiveness is the outworking of agape, a self-giving love for God and others. Agape is a Greek word that means God love, a divine love. And when that divine love gets in me through my salvation, it now has to work out of me in my daily life. See, you're not mature because of how many Bible verses you memorized. You're not mature in Christ because of how long you've been a Christian. You're not mature in Christ because you gave a certain amount of money. You're mature in Christ when the love of Christ manifests through you in greater measure. And God does that through your interactions with the church. That's his plan. It builds itself up in love. Through his church, God teaches us to love. Just stand your feet with me at all of our locations today. I want to invite you to grow. You may be a Christian for the last year. You may be a Christian for the last 10 years. You may be a Christian for the last 30 years. Or you may not be a follower of Jesus at all. Wherever you find yourself today, I want to invite you to grow with us. Grow with us. What does that mean for you? That's going to mean something unique for you. It might mean that today you get online, you look at the community groups listed on our website, and you actually make the time on a Monday night or a Wednesday night to show up at one of these small groups and start talking about Jesus with 10 or 15 other people and start interacting. What does that do? It doesn't automatically create friendships. It creates an opportunity for those friendships to grow. It might mean signing that welcome card today and saying, you know what, I want to serve. I want to be a part of the outreach teams. There are outreach teams that go out every single month at all of our locations, and we are in desperate need of more people to serve the communities around us. You know, just in New Haven alone, we could, I'm not even exaggerating, we could probably handle another 50 to 100 people who would monthly be a part of our outreach teams to serve the poor, the homeless, and those that are in need all around this city. We've got the teams, we've got the structures, we just need the people. But maybe we're too busy. 26% of this New Haven church, I'm not trying to beat you up, even though it kind of feels like I'm beating you up right now. 26% of the people that come here serve. 26. 
I think we can do better. I think we can do a whole lot better. Would you grow with us? Would you grow with us? We're going to sing a song in just a minute, and I believe that this is one of those moments of wonder. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to unlock something in your heart that you've never experienced before. But I do think that for many of us, there's a boundary, there's a barrier, there's a problem, there's a blockage. And I think for many of us, the blockage is that you've been hurt in the past by church, by people, and you're scared to really jump in. I want to confess to you, big surprise, that this is not a perfect church. Shocking, right? I want to confess to you that these are not perfect people. And I also want to confess to you that the truths of the gospel have gone deep in the hearts of the leadership here. And we will fight for you, fight with you, and serve you in this community until we die. That's the plan. And we want to invite you to grow with us. What's holding you back? Just take a moment, close your eyes. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. I believe God's calling you. I believe God's calling you to right now step into a new day, a new vision, a new season, a new hope. And as we sing this morning, I want to encourage you to say yes. I want to encourage you to lift up to God any pain of the past. Lift up to God any time you've been taken advantage of, hurt, misunderstood, offended. Any time the family of God has failed you. And I want you right now just to release it to God. And ask Him, God, put a new vision in my heart. God, I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to mature. I say yes to you. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you invade this room. I pray for all of our locations right now. In Jesus' name, that your spirit, that your presence would do a mighty work in our hearts. I pray that every boundary that would hold people back from following you, from trusting you, and from running hard after you would be torn down right now. I pray that, God, you give us the courage to do something that looks crazy on the outside, to reorient our entire lives around God and his people. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you put in our soul a deep passion for the kingdom of God and for the church of God and for the work of God. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you put a desire for to jump in with both feet into the things that are eternal in this life. Lord, I thank you for great jobs. I thank you for wonderful family. I thank you for beautiful neighborhoods. I thank you for all the ways that you blessed us. But God, the body of Christ has a unique role in this world. And I pray in Jesus' name that you elevate our perspective of the church right now. Give us a new dream. Give us a new vision. I speak today that it's a new day in our souls. Lord, let hope rise in Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's sing.